Father, thank you that you raised your son from the dead. And that changes everything. And we thank you that because he has ascended to your right hand forever and ever, you have sent your Holy Spirit to be with us here now. And we want to pray for his powerful work in this tent for the rest of our time here today and for the rest of this, this year of New Day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's take our seats. So good. Well, welcome to the last message of New Day 2018. The last time we are going to say let's open our Bibles is right now. So if you do have them, maybe you return with me to the last page of the Old Testament. So if you've got your uh, Bible turned there right now, if you go through your Bible about three quarters of the way through, you get to the book of Matthew. And you just want to go back a page before that, just a page, because we're going to read from the very last page of the whole Old Testament. The book of Malachi, a tiny little book uh, by a preacher that God raised up to speak to his people when they'd been through a lot of changes, a lot of difficulty, a lot of pain, and they were kind of getting back their, their edge, their focus. They were back in the land, they were building the walls, building the temple, and yet they were beginning to drift after all, and lose some of their focus. And so God raised up a preacher called Malachi to speak to them. And Malachi reminds them of who he is, reminds them of who God is, reminds them of their identity, encourages them, uh, reminds them of their destiny and their calling, kind of sharpens them up on a few issues, and then starts to talk to them about the future. And just at the very end, which is the last one we're going to read, the, the, the chapter 4 of Malachi, he, he starts to talk about what's called the great coming day of the Lord. The promise that God was going to show up in a, in a huge cosmic way, in a kind of massive epic way to, to bring a change to everything. And that was Malachi's message, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. Now, as it happens, after Malachi finished, there was 400 years of nothing. And so we don't always know the timing of the things that God promises he's going to do. If they expected it to happen quickly, it didn't happen quickly. It was 400 years before the things that Malachi predicted began to happen. And there was the, the preaching of this, this man, John the Baptist, who was the precursor to the Son of God, Jesus himself. And, and so that's what he's kind of predicting in the passage that we're going to read uh, just now, Malachi and chapter 4. But I want to talk to you particularly today about family and about fatherhood particularly. Uh, this is a big, big subject. And some of you, you're going to hear things now that will be a little difficult to hear. In fact, to be honest, all of us are going to hear some things that are difficult to hear. Because this goes against the grain of the way we're wired as a society. The way we tend to think culturally, uh, certainly here in the UK and many of the other countries that you guys are from, we, we don't embrace this message easily. We need God's help for that. So after I've finished reading, we're going to pray together for God to help us to receive it. So that's the plan. You guys having a good time? Has it been a good week? It's been amazing, hasn't it? It's been one of those good ones. Someone, I said to someone yesterday... Do you have a good week so far? He said, yeah, it's been amazing. I said, what's your best thing? And he said, truth or dare. So I was thinking, I'm trying to remember the song called Truth or Dare, or the, the sermon, or the, the seminar track, or one of the cafes. Is it called, you know, I said, what, 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 what do you mean truth or dare? No, just a bunch of mates, we just played truth or dare. So I was like, I'm trying to recover myself, and thinking, okay, what, what was good about truth? What was the best dare you did? And he said, I ate some mud. So I said, um, how much mud did you, do you eat? And he didn't say any words. He just preferred his hands like this. And I salute that boy. I just, I tell you, that, that's, that's outstanding. So I'm glad you've had a good time. That's what I'm saying. I just, don't, you know, that's not a metaphor for New Day. Okay, let's read Malachi 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. 
when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray right now. Father, we ask you for your help. We need your help. And so I ask you, speak to us. Speak to us of your son. Show us something of his glory, his beauty, his worth. Draw us to him in faith and repentance and change Change our lives today for your name and for the sake of this nation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when I was about 17, I would have been uh, a lot like many of you here. I was uh, going to college one day or to school, and uh, it was the time in the household when it was time to get in the car or get ready to go. I don't know about you, at breakfast time or just after breakfast when people are getting ready, it can be a slightly uh, kind of stressful atmosphere in the house. And we got used to the sound of my mum having to kind of gather us by the door and send us out, you know, push us out into the real world and get out there, get out of the house. And uh, I, I remember when she, she called us up the stairs on one occasion, just called out my name, I, I was just a little bit stressed and irritated, like teenagers can be, and I, I just kind of under my breath, or so I thought, uh, responded with what I thought was a witty, sarcastic sneer. But my dad was standing just behind me, and he, he, uh, he kind of noticed this, and I noticed that he'd noticed, because, you know, I realized this is something, something has happened in the force. I know, I know something's happened. So I, I turned around and I realized, oh, okay. And I didn't think my mum had noticed, so I thought no one's noticed. And he looked at me, and he simply said, it's not godly. It's not godly. Now, if he said that to me a couple of years before, at least inside, I would have just thought, I'm not trying to be godly. But this, you've got to understand, was at a point where I thought I was godly. I thought I was Mr. Godly. I was godly godly. I was godly cubed. I was godly on steroids. I, I was the guy that came to things like, we didn't have New Day then, we had sort of, this was hundreds of years ago in the 20th century, and we had things, you know, we had really different things, but nevertheless, at those things, I was godly. I would, you know, I would jump up and down in the songs, and, uh, and I knew where Malachi was, thank you very much, and things like that. And I, I was serious. I mean, I was, I was telling all my friends at college about Jesus. I was, I was brave. I, I stood outside nightclubs and preached to the queues. I used to, seriously, I, I took God seriously. I wanted people to know Jesus. Something had happened about the time of 16 in my life where I took God seriously. But this part of my life remained, it seemed, untouched. So that my dad had to say things like this to me occasionally. And I'm not saying that I I was changed overnight. Sadly, I wasn't. I probably carried on with some of my sarcasm and some of my arrogance. But I remember that. And I I think that it sounds a bit like Malachi in this, this passage we read. He's talking about relationships between fathers and children as though they were extremely important. He was talking about our relationship to parents, about what happens in the household, what happens in the family. He's saying, this is actually the thing God wants to nail. This thing here. This is the thing. I don't want you to talk about something else right now. I'm going to finish the whole Old Testament with a word about you and your parents. So we're finishing the whole of New Day with a word about this. It's like, why would you do that? Because God does in the Bible. 
he finishes the whole Old Testament saying, okay, when God shows up in power on the glorious day of the Lord, when John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah, that's what it kind of means in that bit there, and when my son Jesus shows up, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to turn the hearts of fathers to children. I'm going to turn the hearts of children to fathers. I want to mend families because, friends, this, this is what God cares about. And many of us, we think, you know, we're going back from New Day into the mission field, baby. We're going to school and to college and to our universities. And we're going on internships and we're going to change the world for Jesus. And that's, 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 that's not what this sermon's about. Because this sermon is about what happens tomorrow. This sermon's about what happens when the nations aren't watching. It's what happens when you're in your house, your relationship with family. It's about that sort of stuff. And I really want to get to you on this because I believe God does because this is so important. We tend to see family as just kind of an incidental thing. We, we, we think family is an accident. That's what the world thinks. It's just an accident. Everything's an accident. Biology is all an accident. We're here by accidents. Family's an accident. There's no plan in it. And then when we read the Bible and it says, you know, God says things like, yeah, I'm, I'm a father. We think, oh, God just sort of saw fathers walking around on planet Earth and thought, yeah, I'm a bit like that. That's not how it works. You know, we tend to see that. You know, when we see, you know, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. We think, oh, God's a shepherd. Okay. Well, I tell you about you, when I think of shepherds just off the cuff like that, I think of guys like this. So, so New Day 2018, I want you to know God is just like this guy. But here's the thing, we, we tend to think like that, don't we? We think, you know, it says God's a father, so he's just like our fathers. You, you've got to see it's the other way around. Otherwise, you will end up with thinking of God like this guy. Or even worse, this guy. Okay, now that freaks me out, okay? I am scared. I don't want to get to heaven and find out God's like that guy. Because I hate that guy. I hate that guy. I despise him. And so should you. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, you win. You win, he's amazing. My kids used to watch Peppa Pig, and I used to actually take the, take the DVD out of the machine and say, they are not watching this. This father is useless. He is not like the God of this book. And I want you to hear this, because friends, God the Father is the original. This is the point. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, he talks about God the Father and then he says this, the father from whom all other fathers are named. What he means is God's the original. God's the first. God's the one. That, uh, let me try to explain it like this. This is a difficult one. I find this hard to understand myself. So let's try and work it out like this. Um, think about the difference between this piece of music. Let's just play it now. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and Okay, and this. Okay, that's enough. That's enough before we all vomit. What's the point? The first version was the good one. You got that, okay? I took a sad song and made it worse. But, hey Jude, you, I've heard lots of buskers, you know, trying to belt out Hey Jude in underground stations and street corners. No one's going to do Hey Jude like the Beatles did it. No one's going to quite manage that. It's the original that's the great one. Now, I did the same tune. That's a privilege, isn't it? I got to play it. Well, you know, it was good. I know it was good. But it wasn't the original. And, and I guess what I want you to see is that you know, fatherhood is a privilege for us. We get to kind of do what God does. If you get to be a father, many of you, that's, that's going to be part of your future. It's an extraordinary thing. It's not a passing thing. It's not an accident like the world says. It's God's plan. God is a father. He was a father before we came along. God is a father all the time. He never began to be a father, ever. There was never a time when someone invented fatherhood. 
It was always there because God was always there and God always had a son that he loves and has loved forever and ever and ever. God is an eternal father. It was never invented. And it's certainly not an accident. So you, if you have a dad, you have someone who in that respect is like God and the relationship you have with him is precious, is special, is important. And with your mum as well. Parenting and the family is not an accident. It's God's plan, it's God's design. He wired us for it. He made us through it. And in fact, it's for the flourishing of society. Society works best because of fatherhood, because of motherhood, because of parenthood and families. That's the way God designed it. Now, we get used to thinking, well, the world is, you know, especially countries like the UK and other countries like it, it, they've turned their back on Jesus. They've turned their back on the Bible and Christianity. And we tend to think, It's because of that that the family is falling apart. And that's probably true. But I was reading a book recently by a lady called Mary Eberstadt, and she makes the point, what if it's the other way around? And she's a social scientist. She's done some brilliant research. She said, the reality is that it's the family being strong that keeps a society close to Jesus. The family falling apart is actually what... What causes society and then the church to fall apart? People lose their sense of God because they lose family. Family unravels, the world unravels. God's made us for it. It's kind of in the fabric. Let me show you with a a piece of fabric right here. Just really simple. When we lose family, it's like this starts to happen. You get the point? The way that God's set things up, he's woven lives and people together. He's woven society together. So when we play around with family, we're playing around with fire. We're tearing something up that shouldn't be. And the consequences are big. This is why New Day is actually not the main thing. I love New Day, but you know what? My family is more important than New Day, and your family is. Actually, God's designed things so that your family has the potential to be a kind of revolutionary unit that changes the world. It's families that can bring the kingdom of God. When they're going, right? When they're under God. If we thought New Day was the answer, we'd be a bit like a bunch of people that found a broken down car with the engine torn out who are painting nice stripes on the side, giving it a really glossy finish and saying, look how fast it is. Doesn't matter how, if you put paint, it's like New Day could just be a distraction. If our families are not under God, if, if we're not finding Jesus in family relationships, honestly, New Day is just one big fat trick. It's a distraction from the main thing. Because God wired the world so that mums and dads come together and raise kids who they love and lay their lives down for so that their kids can come to know Jesus and grow up to. to have their families and fill the world and fill the world again and fill the world again and again with images of God, joyfully worshipping God and training others and subduing the world for the glory of God. This is the plan God had and we've ripped into it. This is why Malachi is so grieved in this story that I read to you. He's, he's talking about family as if it matters because it really does, friends. The reality is, as a society, we have torn into it, big time. I've got to say that. You'll find that not many people do say that. You'll find that often the media doesn't want to talk about it. Politicians get awkward when they get asked about the families. They don't want to offend people. I don't want to offend people either. I don't want to hurt people. It's it, it kind of the idea is you can't talk about the need for strong, stable families with a mum and a dad without hurting people. I, I understand that, but if that means we can never talk about it, it's going to get worse. So we've got to find a way to talk about it and be gracious and kind. We've got to say to people, God, God wants children to be raised in families where there's a, a healthy love between a stable parents who are committed and promising vows to each other that they're never going to break. And they love their children and raise them to fear God. That's the best thing for society. But if you say that, it's, it's hard, I know. So how does it make a single parent feel? How does it make people feel if they're, you know, same-sex household? And it's, uh, we, we, we're trying to raise kids. You're saying that we're evil. We say, you're saying that we've got, what are you saying about us? And, and so we just say, oh, we say nothing then. Sorry, we can't say anything. Well, this, it doesn't mean that we have to hate people. It doesn't mean we have to despise people. 
we can be totally kind, just like Jesus is. No one said anything about hating people in other kinds of households and families. No one said that. If they did, they're disobeying Jesus. Jesus wants us to honor and love people so much. He wants us to welcome them into the household of God, into the home, into the broader family. But he also says, look, this is done well when it's done this way. This is for the better of everyone, especially for the better of children. So we've got to be real and say, we don't want to tear this thing up, right? Do we want to do that? That can't be right. And the reality is that seems to be the way that we're going. There's a million, a million teenagers in households in this country. I should say, I'll get my facts right. It's, it's children, including teenagers. A million who are in households where there's no meaningful contact with a dad. A million. I know that's many in this room. I know that's a tender thing to raise. I don't mean to be insensitive. We've got to talk about this, haven't we? Because God's a father. You know that back in the early 70s, it was one in 14 children were in a home where the parents weren't together. One in 14. You know, these days, just, just age 15, half the 15-year-olds in this country in a home where the mum and dad aren't together. That's one generation. That's just one change. One generation, right? We're talking a few years, and it's so different. And you can't tear into the fabric of society. You can't play with fire without expecting to get burned. And so when we start seeing things like the riots that were happening a few years ago, and some of the, the things we've been praying about and raising money about this week, the stuff that hurts us, the stuff that we, we see movies that cause us to weep with sorrow for mums, and, and we just, it breaks our hearts. Friends, I've got to say it. We've, we've lost fathers. The fathers have gone. We've, we've, we've kind of turned our back on God's way. And this is why Malachi says, if you let that happen, do you remember the words he used? I want to turn the hearts back and the hearts back, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. It might sound like strong words, but let's be real. That seems to be kind of beginning to happen, doesn't it? Destruction to families, destruction to young people, violence of shocking nature. Why? Well, God said why. He said what would happen. He told us. But we ignored him because we knew better. We thought we knew what would fulfill us and make us happy. And so dads have kids. And when it gets a bit difficult or when they find their mistress a bit more attractive, you know, their secretary or whatever, it's... Game over, I'm sorry. You'll understand when you're older, I've got to get out of here. And then people think, I wonder what God's like. Oh, he's like a father. What? I, I know this is painful. I know this is sensitive. But we've got to say it, haven't we? Because we've got to see a nation healed. We've got to see people's lives change. We've got to pray for better. We've got to aim for better. We've got to long for a better way. Jesus came to bring it. He said, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Turn the children back to the fathers. That's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to, to, to mend and to heal. We can't heal things if we don't know they're there, if we pretend they're not there. That's what doctors will always tell you. You've got to diagnose if you're going to heal. So we live with this hope. We think, you know, God's got to show up. And it's been a problem from the beginning, surely. This has been the problem because when, when evil first came into the world, do you remember how it came in? It came into a family, yeah? A husband and wife who loved each other, a serpent comes in, they blame each other. They point at each other. They turn on each other. They turn on each other in defensiveness. Then their kids grow up. Their kids kill each other. That's what happens when the snake comes into the garden, when families are robbed of their calling that's what you can expect destruction to come in. We need someone who's promised, who's destined, who's predicted right there at that stage of the Bible, who will come and crush the head of the serpent, even though his heel will be bruised. This is the one Malachi says will come, bring the day of the Lord. But here's the thing that's striking. I want to just say this. This is a big deal. Listen carefully. The thing that will surprise you, surprises me about this, is that Jesus, when he comes... 
he doesn't come doing what we might expect. See, if he's supposed to come and heal families, we might have expected him to show up and just say, yeah, try harder. You know, you, you dads, you better start loving your sons and daughters better. Come on. Hey, come on, I'll give you some tips. I'll take you on a seminar. We'll try harder. We'll, we'll do some men's groups. We'll do some meetings. I'll try and turn this around. Look, let's get some parents. Let's talk about improving our performance. You kids, you better start loving your parents better. You really know you should. It says in the law, thou shalt honor thy father and mother. It's the fourth commandment. It's a big deal. It's on the first tablet. So you better take that seriously, young people. Is that what Jesus did? No, surprisingly, the message Jesus was famous for in the early stages of his ministry was a bit different. He used to say things like this. If you want to be my disciples, you can't unless you hate your father and your mother. What? Did did I hear you right? Imagine that sort of talk going around Galilee. Imagine the villages. Imagine the mums and dads listening. What's my son getting into? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? What's he saying? You can't be my disciple. I've come to bring a sword. I've come to bring fire on the earth, not peace. Unless you, unless you hate your father and mother, I'm going to turn children against parents and parents against children. What? You know, one person came to Jesus and said, can I be your disciple? I, I would like to be your disciple. Here's my CV. You know, I want to be your disciple. Uh, probably, I just need to go and bury my dad. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Come with me. What is he saying? Is Jesus anti-family? Is he just another punk? Is he just another cult leader? Taking kids away, snatching them away. No, here's the thing about Jesus. If you notice this about Jesus, yeah, he sort of takes things away, but he gives them back better. He talks like this all the time. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. If you keep your life, you'll lose it. This is the kind of way he talks all the time. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will will be given to you. He was always insisting on this complete and utter commitment to himself at the center of the lives, the hearts, the desires, the longings, the dreams of his disciples. He was totally focused on it. If you want to be my disciple, you have to see me as your everything. You have to be able to say like the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, because it is all about Jesus. That's it. That's the message that he came. He's constantly helping disciples to see, you've got to be able to put me first. You've got to see it that way. And here's the thing. When we do that, have you noticed, when you put Jesus first, the other things take shape. They make more sense. You rearrange your life, including your relationships, even with your mum and dad, around Jesus and your relationships with your mum and dad actually start working. You start trying to do this in your strength, it won't work. You start with Jesus. You finish with Jesus. You stay with Jesus the whole way through. It's like C.S. Lewis said, if you love somebody more than Jesus, you will actually love them less than if you love them second to loving Jesus. If you love someone second to Jesus, you will love them more anyway than you would have done. That's why you get Christian weddings where the husband and the wife look at each other and say, I don't love you most, I love Jesus most. And all the non-Christians freak out. What weird wedding is this? But actually the thing is they're going to love each other more because Jesus is at the center of their life. So he teaches us how to love properly because our lives are all about him. Friends, listen, you have got to build everything in your life on Jesus. And if you don't, well, here's the thing. Jesus, you might think he's going to come and fix the fabric. That's what he's going to do instead. That's what he does. I thought he was going to come and fix everything. No, what you'll find with Jesus is he often actually tears into things to give us them back better. You will never love your mum enough until you love Jesus more than you love her. That's the point. I know that sounds crazy, but that's Christianity. Jesus has to come first, but when he comes first, oh, now I learn. Why is this the case? Why why is it like this? Well, let me try and explain it. There were people around during Jesus' time who were really into honoring their parents, or so they thought. They were called the Pharisees. 
the reason that I think they were into honoring their parents is because they love the law. And like I said, honor your father and mother is commandment number four. It comes in pretty high. There are hundreds. I know there's 10 top, there's a top 10, but there's a bigger list as well. And in the top four of all of them was honor your father and mother. These guys, the Pharisees they were called, they took the law seriously. They believed in honoring their father and mother. Jesus shows up in Mark chapter 7 and he says, no, you don't. You don't honor your parents at all. You're just clever. You make it look like you're honoring them, but you're greedy. You're greedy. You're using up their money. You're not looking after them. You're not caring for them at all. You're just doing outward things. And here's the thing, friends. If we just try hard to honor our parents, we might sort of write a little note at the end of New Day or send them a text. You know, I'll love you really, mum, sorry. And, and try and kind of fix things with a little bit of honor, a little bit of law. I don't think that's actually the solution. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus because, and here's the thing, your problem isn't your behavior. I know that we always tell you that it is, us grown-ups, but it's not. Your problem isn't your behavior because if it was, we could probably fix your behavior kind of, kind of. But your heart wouldn't get changed, would it? Not much. And that's where the problem is. The problem is in the heart. The problem's inside. And the rules have never really done much to change someone's heart. Not much. Not without God's work. But Jesus, who is God, he can actually change a heart. Jesus can change your heart. See, your heart is absolutely heaving with passions and desires and hopes and dreams and yearnings and what, what Paul says to Timothy, he calls them youthful passions or youthful lusts. And when that word lust, we always think of it means sex. It doesn't in that verse. It just means passion. And we're quite big on passion, aren't we? 21st century postmodern. Yeah, we, we love passion. I hear that word passion a lot on the campsite. As if passion is always good. No, passion isn't always good. There's bad passions too. I have a lot of them. I, have, I am passionate about a lot of things that are not good. God is working on me to change my passions. And your big issue is your passions, your heart, what you yearn and long, your, you seek for, you hunt down, you search for. You're driven by it, your passions, your yearnings. We sometimes call them idols, things you worship. That's the thing. When it comes to a household, a family, what you've got is a bunch of people living together who all have competing passions. Competing longings and desires and hearts which are often set against each other and surprise, surprise, you get fireworks, you get conflict. So how can that get sorted out? How are your passions going to get just changed by a bit of good behavior? It's pathetic, that's not going to change anything, just a little bit of resolve. No, no, friends. You need Jesus. How's, how's, how's anyone going to change the roaring passion in the human heart? This is what Jesus himself has actually come to do. How has he done it? Well, Jesus has done it actually by kind of doing it for us. This is a big part of it. See, let me, let me just say something really shocking to you. This is what, what it says in Luke's gospel. You, if you're not shocked by it, you're not thinking. It says in Luke's gospel, chapter 2, this. He, Jesus, when he was about 12 years old, he went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Now that ought to surprise us. The son of God being submissive to who? His parents. Doesn't that sound a bit weird? Submissive to his parents. He's God. Why would he be submissive to them? Jesus is the perfect, perfect son. He's what Proverbs talks about, the wise son who made his father's heart glad. You know, there's the father in, 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 in the Bible, the, old, the one I've been telling you about, the eternal father, the glorious eternal father. Jesus is the wise son who makes him glad. But he was also the son who made a carpenter called Joseph glad. A carpenter. You ever done tech at school? When I did tech, they made us make spatulas. Today we're going to make spatulas, kids. Imagine that, Joseph, right? Jesus, I want to teach you how to do woodwork. Let's make spatulas. 
Imagine Jesus, I, I, I am not going to make a spatula. I, I, stop telling me how to make spatulas. I'm God. I made the wood. I made you. How weird is that? Serious, just think, just stop and think. Jesus, go and tidy your room. No, you tidy my room. I'm God. <laughs> Fair enough, I'd have thought. Yeah, okay, oh, yeah, I will, yeah. Joseph, he's God. He never, ever did that. He never did that. Get that around your head. Get that round your head. Jesus submitted to fallen parents. If that doesn't shock you, you're not thinking. It is staggering. Paul says, he says, he became a human and then he made himself a servant, submitting to death on a cross. He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, humbling himself even to death on a cross. What kind of God is this? A miserable God? Got to submit to my stupid parents. My stupid dad, he's a stupid woodwork teacher. Got to do what he says. He's so dumb. Is that what God's like? No, the Bible says God is happy. Jesus was happy. He said, he, Jesus, he's happy. He said, my joy I give to you. And the disciples said, yes, please. They didn't say, no, no, we don't want your joy. Jesus is delighted. He's happy. He's full of joy. And how did he get joy? By snatching? No, 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 no. By submitting. By saying, okay. Okay, I, I trust. I trust my father. Let's make spatulas today. Let's make desks tomorrow. Let's make tables. Let's make bread. Let's make wine. Let's go to the cross. He submitted himself because he was peaceful. He was contented. He said to the disciples, he says it in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. In other words, all you who are passionate for the wrong things. All that you are stressed out and frenzied and panicky. All that you, you get in fights with your parents. Your parents get in fights with you. Why do your parents get angry and agitated with you? Because they're passionate too for the wrong things. Speaking as a parent, I know about this. What are my idols? Comfort. Convenience. Respect. Appreciation. I want to be appreciated, thank you. I'm the breadwinner. I do all the work. I helped make you. It was really hard work. I, I'm the one that, I'm the one that, I'm the daddy. I should be respected. And maybe there's something right about that. Yeah, parents should be respected. That's what we've been saying. But here's the thing. What parents do is they start to turn that appropriate desire into an idol. I must be respected. I must be appreciated. I will never be content until you appreciate me. To my shame, I've often felt like that. It's wrong. It's wrong. And my friends, if it's wrong for your parents to think like that, then it's wrong for you to think, I will never be happy until you give me my independence. I will never be happy until you let me do what I want. Or just a little bit more of what I want. I will never be happy until I can have this and this and this. That's how we think. My friend, it's not true. Jesus proves it. He proves it. He was happy submitting to ordinary fallen human beings. He was happy doing it. He found contentment. Why? He says, come to me. You who are stressed out. You who are stressed out with your mums and dads. You who, are, you who get into passionate feuds with your mums and dads. Come to me. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm humble of heart. You'll find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. The burden I give you is light. It's easy. 
It's light. Jesus doesn't want to come and make you stressed. He wants to delight you. He's able to, like nobody else. So you think you're going you're gonna to fix everything and go home and be the perfect noble child? Because, well, I'm really passionate about that, actually. I'm really passionate about obeying my parents. Well, good luck. How's that going for you? Being really just passionate about things in your own strength. My friend, it's never going to work. How's that going for you anyway? Any of those areas of your life where you're saying, I'll never be happy until I have this. Is that going well? Is that going well? Give up on it, friends. You need Jesus. Jesus is abundantly happy. He says, my joy I give to you. I've got bread that you don't know anything about. I've got water. I've got refreshment. I've got life for you. You. He says, he says it in John chapter 7. He says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. If you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. You'll never be thirsty. I can satisfy you. I can satisfy you, says Jesus to you right now. You do not get, get into any more of the, the fights because you have Jesus. You don't need to. I don't need to. We don't need to because we have Jesus. We need to go back to Jesus. Sorry, God. We've made these things that are so important the thing. They're not. They're not the thing. Jesus is the thing. Teach us your ways, Lord. Help us to be settled and satisfied and contented because we have the one in our lives who has made the Father's heart glad forever and ever and ever. And his name is Jesus Christ. We have him. We have him. And because we have him, we have everything. We have everything because we have Christ. And it can settle us like nothing else can. What a weight off us. He said, I've come to make you less thirsty. You know how he was able to do that? How was he able to satisfy our thirst? Because he became thirsty. That's how he does it. You know, on the cross, he's hanging there. Oh, I mean, it is amazing. Think about this. He's hanging on the cross. Do you know who he's thinking of? I know who I'd be thinking of, myself. He's thinking of his mum. He's caring about his mum. He says, John, look after my mum. She's your mum now. Mum, John's your dad now. He's caring for his mother. And then he says, I th- I'm thirsty. On the cross, he became like shriveled up leaves, like the ones we've been crunching on as we've walked around this campsite in this dry summer. He became like ash that's cast out on the ground after a fire. Jesus on the cross was dying of thirst so that you and I may never thirst again. Do you have Jesus? There's no one like him. There's no one like him. If you have him, you have everything. And we can learn to trust. We can learn to relax. (laughs) He'll raise us up in due time. Let me give you a few ways that this works out really quickly. Okay, let me just give you a few things. If you know Jesus, it will help you to do. First of all, it will help you to trust. I can trust God. That means, friends, you can trust that you're, you're in the right situation. I know that many of us are in families where we think, this is hard. My parents, it's difficult. Or my parent or my carers, it's difficult. I get that. But listen, friends, there's someone in control of everything, including your situation, and you can trust him. He hasn't made a mistake in putting you in the household you're in. He hasn't. Not one of you is in your family by some bizarre mistake in heaven. God is in control. You can trust trust and that means obey when your parents do that annoying thing where they you say why should I do that and they say because I said so and it freaks you out you know what it's not that bad an answer I don't mean they should say I try not to say it all the time but sometimes I say it why because actually it's kind of true you can trust if you say yes it's like Colossians 3 it says obey your parents in everything because it pleases the Lord it pleases the Lord that's good When you say yes to your mum and dad, you're saying yes to Jesus. Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? Oh, okay, I don't like what you're telling me to do. At the moment, I don't like you. But I like Jesus, and I'm going to do what he tells me to do. That's all right. That's a good start. Trust. Trust. Second thing I'd say, well, let me just just bring this home. Some of you say, "What, what if my parents tell me to do bad things? Okay, your parents might tell you bad things. Then you don't, it says, obey them in the Lord. Right, so don't obey bad things. But let's be honest, most of you, that's not going to be the problem. If, your, if you go home from New Day and your parents have just, you know, become pirates, 
welcome back, or welcome back from New Day. You know, we're going on the summer holiday. We're going to rape and pillage the coast of the Spanish Main. Get in the boat. They're not going to say that, are they? Let's be real. Most of your parents are going to say, get in the car, we're going to Devon or something. <laughs> or Mallorca or something. I don't know. They're going, that's what they're going to say, right? And you can say, yeah, all right, yeah, let's do that. You don't say, you will never take me to Devon. I trust Jesus, not you. You obey your parents and you're obeying Jesus. Your parents say, tidy your room. I will do what Jesus tells me to do. It's going to be really embarrassing when you see Jesus and he says, you should have tidied your room, really. You should have just done what they said, really. I know this is really weird. You think, what, in everything? Yeah, it says, Colossians 3, in everything. In everything? What if they say we're going to go rob a bank? All right, not in that. But that's not the main problem, is it? The main problem is that we don't want to. That's the real problem, right? Right? We don't want to. And that's an idol. Okay, so let's be real. Trust. Trust that God's put you in the right place. Second thing, we need to mourn. What do I mean by that? I mean we need to just be real about our sin. It's what James says in James chapter 4. We don't use this verse very often because it's not very 21st century. We wouldn't get on Christian TV with this verse. It says this, Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll exalt you. What does he mean? Is James just being grumpy? No, no. Okay, no. They might let him on Christian TV. He's probably a nice man. Here's the point. James is saying this. He's saying, listen, until you grieve over your sin, you're probably not going to conquer your sin. You need to see how bad it is. See, we think that, I don't know, violence, knife crime, sin. Masturbation and porn, sin. And some of you, it's like, yeah, if I, if I look at some porn... I feel terrible. That's how you feel. I, oh, no, I masturbate. I feel terrible. And it's a sense of shame and regret and a sense of hatred even of yourself. You feel terrible about it sometimes. And it kind of, you think, oh, I'm never going to get by. It's such a painful thing. But friends, this is the problem. You can feel terrible about that sin, but not even notice it when your mum is crying in the other room because she doesn't want you to see her. Because what you just said was really cruel. You don't even notice you don't even notice that. It doesn't hurt you. It does when you fall into sexual sin. Oh, that, oh, no, I'm such a mess. Friends, get some perspective. Sin is all bad. Sins against your parents are bad. And we say, God, please teach me to see it like you see it. Not, God doesn't hate you. He's not, he's not going to get at you. He's going to forgive you. If you come and confess your sin, he's going to love you and forgive you completely. But do confess it. Do get real with it. Third thing, really quickly, forgive. I know for many of us this is really tough because forgiving your parents is no small thing, right? And we all need to do it. Not a single one of us should fail to forgive our parents because we all have fallen parents. I have to forgive mine. My kids have to forgive me for things. I often say to them, please forgive me. <laughs> a lot. And you, you need to say to your parents, I forgive you. Maybe you don't want to say it straight up. You want to think about the right way and the right time to say it, especially if they're talking to you, looking for it. And you might feel you can't. You might feel you're not seeing them. You don't even know where mum or dad are. You don't even, how can I even begin to forgive? And even the idea of forgiving is like a mountain you just can't even think of climbing. And I, I, I get that. This is where it helps to know the great forgiver, isn't it? I get to forgive people because I've been forgiven so much. What you've been forgiven is huge. He forgave you so that you could forgive others. Get to know the forgiver. You'll find it a bit easier. Another thing is seek. Seek. And what I mean by that is seek mums and dads in your church. You might say, well, I don't have adequate parenting. I don't even have a mum or a dad at the moment. I don't... Maybe you do have a mum or dad, but you just say, I need help. I need people who give me the support, the wisdom, and the encouragement I need. I agree with you. You do. So look for them. Seek them out. Seek out people 
who will help father you or mother you in your church. Choose them. Choose them wisely, right? (laughs) Not those weird people that sit at the back and yell during the sermon. Not those people. Choose people. That, I've watched your life. You, you, you love Jesus. You read your Bible. You care for people. You, you're generous. You're lo- Can I learn from you? Do it well. Choose the right time. Don't go up to them all needy after New Day. I really want you to be my spiritual mum. Please, 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 please. I really need a spiritual dad. Can you be my dad? Please be my dad. Don't do that. Just think, pray, be careful, and, then, and think, how can I get close to people and watch and learn from them? Who knows who God will bring you to as you seek him through seeking others. What about dreaming? Lastly, just dreaming. Some of us, we need to learn to dream for our future. See, I'm talking about getting healed from the past quite a lot, but the nation needs healing, doesn't it? Doesn't it? The whole, the whole society needs healing. What's the solution? More new day? Well, in a way, yeah. But really, what it's needing is you guys to be the future mums and dads. To be the future spiritual mothers and fathers, biological mothers and fathers who help bring healing to this desperately needy nation. That's what it needs. That's what it needs more than anything. And you need to start dreaming. You need to get ambitious for this. Some of you, you're thinking, yeah, I want to be ambitious to, to plant churches or uh, to make money or to, to, do this, to, you know, to, to record an album or to, to be an artist. Or, and it's, it's fine, it's good. Well, amen, amen, amen. But surely, first thing is to start being ambitious for a family, for the future. A legacy like that is awesome, truly. Is a weapon in God's hand. Who knows what God will do through some of you as you start to build families for the future. Start to dream for this. I want to ask you to start thinking with me on this and praying with me on Even as I'm finishing this talk, and I've asked Nathan just to come up and start playing. Because I want us to just zone in on this for a moment. What dreams have you got? Have you got dreams that have anything to do with this? Remember what we said, the family is the thing God created at the start. And he's wired you for it so that you might be part of the solution, that you might raise households that are built by God. Maybe children that learn to love God, that stand in a dark time when this nation is wandering further and further away from God and from fatherhood. We don't just sort of shout against them and tell them that they're wrong. We build the alternative. We build households that speak Jesus' name. We build communities, we build families, we build churches where people feel, I know where I belong, I know who my mum is or my mums are or my dads are. I, I feel part of something. I'm, I'm getting my identity from these people. I know what's right and wrong because they told me that I can trust them. I'm put here by God. We need to build those communities and we need to build even those families. We do, we so need to. You need to start dreaming, I want to make a family. I don't mean, you know, this week. I don't mean on the way home. <laughs> Not like, you know, I like what the preacher said. How's about we sit at the back on the coach? <laughs> Here's what my wife did. Hear me on this. My wife, when she was 19, so about the age that you guys are coming up to, she, she just... Love Jesus. Her life was changed, just like yours has been this week. Just love Jesus. She wasn't loving Jesus. She was wandering away from God, and God just got her on, at church one Sunday. Just changed her life. Just is amazing. She came to the front of a meeting and just sobbed, and she didn't leave the building until about four o'clock that afternoon. God just fell on her, and 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 then she thought, "What? I, what am I going to do the rest of my life?" And she starts to just dream. I want to serve. I want to lead. I want to change the world. And the very wise pastor in her church, a little while later, said, could you just look after these young people? They're a bit younger than you. They need to know a bit more about Jesus. Could you look after them? And so she did. She just looked after them. Hung out with them after church, took them out to McDonald's, phoned them in the week, prayed with them, talked to them, talked to them about their friends, invited their friends to church. Their friends came to church. Their friends came to church. Within a few years, those four or five young people that she mothered 
It's about 150 people. See, see, don't clap. Do not clap. Thank you. Love you, but don't clap. That's not what we, we don't need to applaud. We need to learn. I'm trying to tell you something. This is, this is plan A, yeah? Start honoring your mothers and fathers and start being mothers and fathers. She trained on other people's kids. Now she's got five of her own. She's a hero as a mum. And I get to be their dad. And, and we do church every morning around the breakfast table. We open the Bible. And we look at it and we talk about it. And we, we let Jesus speak to us before we go out on our day. We pray together. You might think, well, you're a preacher. You're a pastor. You lead New Day. You're, you're very special. Nothing is more special than what happens in those five, ten minutes at breakfast time. Nothing is more special than that. That is much more important to me than this. I'm sorry, but it is. And it should be for you. Imagine it. Imagine raising cultures, raising households, raising communities. That's the dream. Houses that change the world. I'm sitting at my breakfast table, I'm praying, God, change the world through my family. Oh, God, help us to raise it for the sake of our nation. That's what they need, right? It really is what they need. Let's start revolutions in households for the ends of the earth. We're going to pray. We're going to start by, in a moment, just in a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something, and it's really... Very simple, but if you don't listen, you'll get it wrong. I want you to stand up when I say, but I don't want you to stand up. I don't want you to stand up until you, in your heart, are ready. Because I said several things just then. I said, some of you, you need to, you need to trust mum and dad because you trust Jesus. Some of you need to say sorry in your heart, grieve over the sin. Some of you need to learn to forgive and love and honor. It doesn't mean that you honor everything a parent. Some parents have been horrible. I know that. I know that. You don't have to honor everything they do. You, you kind of you like, it's like in the army. You honor the badge. You honor the rank. You're still my mom. You're still my dad. I still honor you for that. I do honor you. I find it hard, but I will choose to. I choose to honor you. In your heart, you need to resolve that. And you start as well to dream, yeah? Start dreaming. Say, God, give me a dream. Give me a desire. My, my, my granddad wasn't a Christian. My dad would come home drunk sometimes. He wasn't a Christian either. He, my dad grew up in a non-Christian home. Came home drunk. And his dad, my granddad, he'd laugh. He thought it was funny. Oh, he came home drunk. That's funny. Boys will be boys. It's funny. I came home drunk once and my dad cried. Cried. Because he wasn't going to build just any kind of house. He wanted to build a house for Jesus. And this isn't what he wanted. And he cried and he prayed. He prayed for his kids. He fought for his kids. We're going away next week as a family. Him, my mum. I wasn't going to tell you this, but suddenly, suddenly going to tell you it. <laughs> my older brother went away from God terribly. My younger brother, who went away from God, got into drugs terribly. Just went away from God. My parents prayed, prayed. I went away from God. My sister was faithful. My younger brother, he went away from God. All four brothers went away from God. My parents prayed. They kept reading the Bible to us. They kept loving us, kept forgiving us, kept teaching us the truth. We're going away next week, all of us, all families who love Jesus, with grandchildren, about a thousand of them. <laughs> and they all love Jesus, all together to celebrate my parents' 50th wedding anniversary next week tomorrow in fact tomorrow tomorrow See, his, his dad used to laugh he said well what's the world coming to kids get drunk never mind that's not good enough that's not my dream 
Is that your dream? It wasn't his either. He said, no, I will not have that. I, I'll ask you, is that your dream? Start to pray. And when you're ready, when you're ready, you can stand. But only to, And if we all stand up at different times, that's fine. Let's just wait on God together.